Thank you, me kindred. Well, thank you for coming out today. We will continue our worship by looking at the Word of God. So if you would take your copy of the inerrant Word of God, would you turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. By the way, this is uh, Communion uh, Sunday as well, so be ready to uh, partake of that after at the end of our service here. And we don't want to treat it as a tack-on, um, so let's, we'll be mindful of the Lord's table when it comes. But here in Ephesians chapter 1, we will pick it up in verse 15, the beginning of a new section. And I should like to read from verse 15 to 19, just to get our minds into this text. The full text goes to 23, but we want to pick it up in 15 and read down through verse 19. The Word of God says in verse 15, For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, and your faith, and your, sorry, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might. Now we learn here from these first few verses of this passage, 15 and 16 in particular, that the Apostle Paul is a, a praying man. He's a man of prayer. And we see again, he's, his prayers are also mentioned in chapter 3, verse 14. He prays again in this text, in this epistle. And so, as we learn from chapter 1, and we learn from chapter 3, and we also learn from other of his epistles, that Paul is constantly praying. He is a man of prayer. He was dedicated to prayer. He spent obviously many hours in prayer just based on the people the amount of people that he prayed for when he was uh, he's writing from prison here his first imprisonment he's chained to a roman soldier and so he can't get out and evangelize people can go see him but he is committed to praying he is a man of prayer because if you think he knew and this is one of my points I want to emphasize, and it goes well with what Max had introduced and what we're introducing on Tuesdays. I hope God will use this to stir our hearts to be like Paul in this way, that he was a man dedicated to prayer because he knew of its absolute necessity to advancing the gospel for the glory of God. He knew its absolute necessity. It's every bit essential as speaking the gospel. It's every bit as essential. Nothing less, but certainly as essential, is to pray. Now, he knew from experience that God worked through his prayers. Especially God worked in the lives of other believers of which he prayed for. Through his prayers. Paul was dedicated to prayer, not only because God commands it, but he was convinced because God answered his prayers. Therefore, he expected God to answer his next prayer. He prayed with expectation. 
not in arrogance, not arrogantly, not demanding of God, but, but that God had ordained that he would work through the prayers of his people. He knew that, and therefore he prayed with expectation. God commands us to pray. God says he'll answer when we pray in a certain manner. Therefore, we should pray with expectations, shouldn't we? We should pray with God to answer. Why else would we pray? Right? Earlier in Paul's ministry, probably eight years before the epistle to the Ephesians, Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 18, Pray without ceasing. Never stop praying. In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Okay? So the unceasing prayer, I was taught this by an older gentleman at Master Seminary. He says it's like a pilot light on the old gas stoves. Those of us who are of a certain age remember the gas stove, right? It had a pilot light. That's what he's talking about like this. You're in a constant attitude of prayer. You're constantly in the presence of God in your mind. You're never ceasing praying for other folks, for God's will to happen, for God's glory to happen. You're, you're to be constantly praying. Constantly praying. So then, today what I want to focus on is what we would call intercessory prayer. Okay, that is to praying on behalf of other people, praying on behalf of another person. I don't want to get too slicing up. Prayer is prayer, but I want to focus, because Paul does in our text, praying for other Christians. Okay, so I want us to kind of focus on that as we go through this. Praying on behalf of other Christians. You are coming, think of this, to God, the Almighty, in their place, on behalf of them. What a great privilege that is. A great privilege. It's an act of faith and it's a labor of love. Love for God and a love for them. And it is to be the primary work of Christ's church. Prayer, and especially intercessory prayer, is to be the primary work of Christ's church. Okay? As Max had said, little prayer, little power. Right? If, if It's every bit as essential. And I don't think, because... Many folks here are from the Slavic community. This is what you are known for. So this is nothing new to you guys, I understand. So I'm preaching to the choir, but the choir needs to preach to you as well. Right? So I'm going to preach to you like you've never heard this before. Right? That uh, the, the, the work of the church is not only evangelizing and gospel, it is to pray. And, you know, we are known as a house of prayer. We should be known as a house of prayer, a people of prayer. Um, because it should be said, it, uh, Spurgeon said, prayer for the child of God is as natural as breathing. It's as natural as breathing. Right? So we are to be known for praying. Acts 2.42, if you remember, they dedicated themselves to the apostles' doctrine, to koinonia, uh, fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the fourth one, prayer. Right? So the first church in Acts 2.42, God saved them, gathered them together. They met in the temple and often in the homes. What they primarily were about was praying. Right? Praying. Obviously praying is no, not rocket science. It's a heart that understands its need for God and it's the need of God to work. And it can't happen apart from God, and it understands that, and it cries out to Him to, to work. 
And so it's conversa- It's just simply conversation before God. You're talking with God, and you don't even have to. You don't even have to obviously use verb words, right? It's even in your mind and in your heart, um, which is interesting because if you remember Hannah back in Samuel praying before the high priest, and she was mumbling and mumbling. He thought she was drunk, and I, as you study that. It, I think because she was uttering words in prayer instead of in her mind, that wasn't the normal Jewish way. The normal Jewish way was to pray in their mind, not verbally. But here she is verbalizing it, and he thought she was drunk. Right? So that's interesting. We're not going to look at styles of praying. We're not going to look at posture in praying, because you can pray standing, you can pray driving, you can pray walking, laying on your bed, all those ways. Right? We're not going to deal with that. We're going to deal with the idea of our mind being consumed with the needs of others and going to the one who can answer it so that he receives the glory and the gospel advances and sanctification happens and God's people grow. Okay, So this is what we're interested about. And as we examine our text today, and we're going to go different places to see different scriptures that speak of this intercessory praying, I'm asking God to inflame our hearts, my heart first and your hearts. Together, he inflames our heart to a lifestyle of intercessory praying. That's what I'm asking him to do. That as a body, that we be dedicated to prayer. That we would be known. Hey, if you want something prayed for, go to Folsom Bible Church. That's what I want to be known for, right? Because we believe that God hears and God answers and God has the power. Right? And we want to see him work that way. Therefore, we want to be a people saturated in prayer. That's just who we are. Um, so if you're not interested, check out. <laughs> right? The Methodists are down the road. They'll probably have a potluck or something. But we're going to be about prayer. Right? We're going to be about prayer. Sorry, Methodists. hate to pick on you, but you deserve it. Um, now, <laughs> when we come to Ephesians chapter 1. Look at verse 15. It says, For this reason I am too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you and your love for all the saints. This is obviously coming on the heels. I want to get down to the flow of Ephesians because I, I, I don't want to lose track of this before we launch off. This is obviously on the heels of verse 3 through 14 where he showed that which God has accomplished already in Christ. Right? Your standing, your position before God is all that what God has done. He chose you, he predestined you, he redeemed you, he forgave you, and all, all the way down. He sealed you with the Holy Spirit. Right? Those are all acts of God. That's what he did. You don't feel that... How do you know that you are of the elect? How do you know that, that you are of the predestined? How do you know that you're of the sealed by the Spirit? Oh, I just feel like it. No, no. It's faith. Faith in Christ is the evidence that you are of the elect. How do you know you have faith? Love. Okay? Faith working through love, or love working through faith. Right? So, What Paul is saying in verse 15, I recognize that you are of God's elect because you believe and you love. Okay, And we chased that around last time, a couple weeks ago. Oh, by the way, Maximus, thank you for uh, faithful preaching. You don't know how excited I am to have a dear brother like Maximus who I, I know not only do I trust, but I would love to hear him. I do love to hear him preach. So, praise God. Um. Our text here in the flow. And you, I'm sorry, I'm stumbling around here. 
my mind is so tired right now. <laughs> so if you would pray for me, um, I'm about a, about I'm about sapped out. Right? I preached eleven times in eight days, and that's a lot for me. Right? I'm not uh, Whitfield yet. Um, so I'm trying to think through this. This is really good stuff. Um, so three through fourteen is what Christ has accomplished. 15 through 19 or 20 there, Paul is going to pray that they have a fuller understanding of what, what Christ has done and they have a fuller understanding of the treasures and that the resources that are theirs in Christ. He's going to pray they understand that. Okay, um, And then when you get to chapter 2, he's going to return back to past tense stuff, what Christ has done, how he has redeemed. So chapter 2, all the way to chapter 3, verse 13, is things that, that Christ has done, Paul's ministry, past tense. 3.14, he prays again, and he's going to ask God that they come to know something. For instance, look at verse 18 of chapter 3. He's going to ask God there that they be rooted and grounded in love. And then verse 18, may be able to comprehend. That's his request with all the saints. What is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth? Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ. That's what he's asking of God. And it's coming on the heels of what God has already done in chapter 2. So if you go back to chapter... One, it's that same pattern. Because remember, there's no imperatives whatsoever in the first three chapters of Ephesians. There's no commands for you to rise up and do something. It's everything that God has done. And Paul prays twice, intermittently there, to ask God to take what has been taught and apply it to their hearts, open their minds so they fully understand what I've just taught them. So that they can put into practice the resources that are theirs. Do you know the resources that are yours in Christ Jesus? I don't think so. I'm, I'm still learning, I, and I'm in the book all every day, and I'm, I'm learning glorious things about the resources of God. Okay? And it becomes ours through prayer. It becomes yours through intercessory prayer, right? To pray for them. Okay. Um, glorious stuff. We have the keys. Think of this. We have the keys to the kingdom, Right to the mansion, but we live like paupers in the spiritual slums. Right, we act like that that promised land over there, and all the resources that are over there belong to someone else. And I stay over here in the spiritual slums. But God has accomplished. And he has said, no, I chose you to be there. So all that is there is rightfully yours. And Paul prays that you and I understand what is ours in Christ so that we can live victoriously for his glory, that we can live victoriously and with joy for his glory. Yeah? I'm in for that. Count me in. All right? Okay. Um, So then Paul's going to pray here to dispel our ignorance. Look at verse 16. After he recognizes, 116, sorry, Ephesians 116. After he recognizes and acknowledges their regeneration, their genuine faith in Christ, that they are of the elect by faith and love, he goes to verse 16 there, and he says that I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. Okay, So he is constantly making mention of these people 
in his prayers and when he is praying for them, the first thing he says that he does is, I never stop thanking God for you. So I would say intercessory prayer begins with thanksgiving. You need to be thankful to God for the people for whom you are praying for. That change, isn't that just change your whole demeanor, your whole disposition? Because there's some people in your life, you know, that profess faith in Christ that might be hard to get along with, right? And so giving thanks for them is like pulling your teeth, <laughs> right? But once you start doing that and truly see the work of God in their life, are you able to overlook their inconsistencies? Are you able to overlook their weaknesses? Are you able to overlook their immaturities? Are you able to overlook their annoyances? And to truly say to God in prayer, thank you. Here you can practice with me. You can say, thank you, Lord, for Pastor Tony. I know that's a hard sell, but thank you for Pastor Tony. You know, just practice that, you know. Every night, that's your homework. Every night for a week, you stand before God and give thanks for Tony, right? Pretty soon your hearts are united, you know. Pretty soon, you know, I, I like these guys. <laughs> I give thanks for them all the time. What are you giving thanks for? You're giving thanks to God, obviously, right? Isn't that fascinating? Why would we thank God for fellow Christians? Why would we thank God for fellow Christians? They're our family, but because he's responsible for their faith, for their love, for their regeneration, for why they're here. Who chose them? God did. <laughs> Who predestined them to family? God did. That's why you give thanks to God for them. You see, I'm thankful for the one that God chose for himself before the foundation of the world. You see, and so when I go to prayer, I never stop ceasing giving thanks, he says. What a statement. By the way, Thanksgiving, isn't that an attribute, uh, uh, an, an essential quality of a true Christian? Because Romans 1.21 says what is characteristic of the pagan world is unthankfulness. The unregenerate world is ungrateful to God, obviously, right? They are not thankful. They, they grumble, they complain, they moan all the time. That's characteristic of the world, and sadly, that's characteristic of a lot of people in church, to complain. But we should be filled with thanksgiving. See, so he starts here with a, with a posture in my heart. To be thankful for you and you thankful for me, that takes, that takes love, that takes grace, that takes humility. Right? It's a disposition of thankfulness before God. Think of this. If you're thankful, as 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says it like this, in everything... Give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ. In everything, give thanks. Right? It's to be the atmosphere in which the Christian lives. It's to be the brine in which we soak. It's to be thankful. How can I be thankful in everything? What must I understand is that God is sovereign and that God is good. Even though I don't understand this situation, even though there's sin in this situation, I can still give thanks in it because God is not thwarted. His will will be done and He is good and glorious and great. And so I give thanks. You see? In Ephesians 5.20, continuing this idea of thanksgiving, after He said, be filled with the Holy Spirit, in 520, he said, the evidence that you are indeed filled with the Spirit is this, always giving thanks for all things. Always giving thanks. It's the characteristic of a Christian, you see, a heart that understands that we deserve nothing 
outside of the lake of fire. And everything is a gift of grace. If you understand that about yourself, then you can give thanks for all things. Right? And it t- so we have to battle that. We have to get there. We have to see ourselves in light of Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, which is all grace. Grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Yeah? Okay. So we give thanks. We not only give thanks for things, because those last verses, we give thanks for all things. We not only give thanks for all things, but especially we give thanks, as we learn here in Ephesians 1, 16 and 17, for God's people. We give thanks for God's people. Now, as you take the concerns of others before God, we begin with thanksgiving for them, and we go to God with their needs, and we speak on their behalf. Later on, next week and the weeks to come, we will look more at details of the rest of this passage as to the content of the prayer. But what we're going to look at is just the idea across Scripture of, inter- of the practice of intercessory prayer. Okay? Now, can I remind you, you won't have to turn there, um, but even last week, Romans 8.34, intercessory. Where does intercessory begin? Jesus Christ intercedes for his people. Okay, that's in Romans 8.34, that's in Hebrews 7.25, it's also in Luke 22 when Jesus said to Peter, I'm praying for your faith. Okay, so Jesus is the intercessor, isn't he? He's the mediator. The Holy Spirit is said in uh, Romans 8.27 to be also interceding on our behalf. So you have two-thirds of the Trinity interceding on your behalf. Okay, so they take your needs to the Father, and they pray on your behalf. Okay? Um, now, that idea then comes down to us, His people. If you would turn to Philippians, uh, we need to get on your Bible racehorse now, because I'm going to take you to a few um, passages. Philippians 1, and I want you to see how, how other people prayed intercessory for Paul, and how things worked out, because I want us to be encouraged to do the same. In Philippians 1, look at verse uh, 18 and 19, just for context, and maybe 20. But look at 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. How? Verse 19. Through your prayers. So the Philippians were praying for Paul's deliverance, and he's recognizing that and says, This will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Verse 20, according to my earnest expectation and hope. Okay? So there's an expectation that God's going to act according to their intercessory prayers. Somebody else is praying for Paul to be delivered, and he's expecting it to happen. Right? That's good stuff. 2 Corinthians, please, to the left. 2 Corinthians 1. After he spends the first 10 verses or so on, on his sufferings and the comfort he received while being afflicted, he gets down into verse... Uh, let's put it in a context. Start in verse uh, 10. He says here, God who raises the dead in verse 9, verse 10, who delivered us, Paul says, from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. 
He on whom we have set our hope, and He will yet deliver us. Verse 11, please. You also, in addition, joining in helping us. How? Through your prayers. Isn't that neat? The help to be delivered in this text that Paul's saying is by means of their prayers. Why does he say that if that's not what's happening? If that's not what God is doing and that's not the channel by which he does it, why does he write it that way? Do you believe that when you pray? We must believe that. That God is actually going to work through my petitions in his presence on behalf of these people. That's glorious. I don't know about you. That makes you nine foot tall and bulletproof. Why would we not pray? Why would we, why would we be interrupted by anything in life like eating? <laughs> right? Put off the eating and pray. Do you have, think of this. Think of, think of someone near, since we're talking intercessory, think of someone near in your life that has a crisis issue, a serious issue, whatever issue it might be. How much have you prayed for that? And have you got on your face before God in fervent prayer? Do you remember, ah, this just came to my brain. I think it's worth going to. Acts 12. Please. There's a word that sticks out to me. But I hope it's here. Acts 12. Look at this. Yes, ma'am. Oh, thank you, Lord. Peter is arrested in Acts 12. And he is seized and arrested, put in prison in Acts 12, 4, 12, 5. Look it. So Peter was kept in the prison. What was the church doing? Praying in what manner? Fervently. What says you about, what does fervently mean? Another word, a synonym, or what's being, what's that mean? Passionately. Fire. I think fire is in that word. Fiery praying. Fervently praying. Earnestly praying. Anguishly praying. Do you see why they would be fervently praying? Because their beloved Peter has been arrested. You see? What did God do? He sent an angel. (laughs) And rescued Peter. Now I'm not saying God's going to send an angel every time we fervently pray. But he could. You have to believe that. I believe that. I believe that. Is that foolish? No. Pray expecting that God will work in this thing. Right? Um, can I share? I, I think the Lord wants me to share this. And I don't want to sound charismatic to you, but I think it... Or charismaniac. Right? <laughs> Now, this is serious, and I, and I don't mean... But I want you to get the point of this. We should be praying with fervency. When my Joshy was... When I recognized that he was dead on the floor of my living room, I was in Matthew 8 at the time before. You know what happens in Matthew 8? Uh-huh. That was in my brain, man. And I was praying. I knew. I knew that God would put life in him. I expected, right? I did. And when I realized it wasn't going to happen, I was reserved and said, like Job, 
the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But I had prayed before expecting God to put life into him and to bring him up because he can, because he has. That's my point. We should be praying with an expectation of fervency, expecting God to work in this way. If he doesn't, we, what is our, if he doesn't answer according to my prayer, we can at least say, right, we need to adjust our prayer, we need to analyze that, but we need to be saying this, God is able. God is able. And we'll look later today at a verse that, according to his will. But God is able. And if he's able, then we need to be fervently praying. For God to rescue people. My little Layla. Can I, can I share this? This is real personal now. This, this is Tony's personal hour. <laughs> but I, I want to experience this. I want God to show off. My little Layla's having a rough day. I think she's already been on the sauce. It's, not, it's noon and my wife is not coming because she has to do some things with Layla. She's not doing good. Breaks my heart. But pray for her. Fervently pray for her that God... See, that's intercessory. Pray on behalf. She can't go to the throne of God, but I can. And go on her behalf and plead with God with fervency. Lord, deliver her. Deliver her. Do you believe that he can? Yes, I do. And so when I go to him, I expect. <laughs> you know, I always expect because I know God can do these things. This is the New Testament praying. They prayed this way. Paul prayed that way. The church is praying here. It's fascinating, though, later on in chapter 12 when he knocks on the door. They didn't expect God to answer so quick. <laughs> right? But they should have. They should have. Because God can answer like that. Please um, go to... Uh, where was I going here? 2 Corinthians 11. Back to 2 Corinthians 11. 111, 111, And he says that he expects deliverance. And there, the, the Corinthians are going in verse 11, chapter 1. They're also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. Isn't that just stunning? God allows us to participate in His work. In fact, He's ordained that we are able to participate in the work of God when we pray. That's good stuff. Don't you think that's good stuff? Makes me want to pray. You know what? Makes me want you to pray for me. That's for sure. That's why we want to share these things, right? That's why we're going to set up a, 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 a channel, whatever you call this, uh, something... And you put prayer on it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, right? I don't, but you do. Slack, right? Yeah. I, we want to be a people. If we're going to pray, then we have to be able to share what we want people to pray for, right? So that when it's prayed for and God answers, He gets the glory and He gets the praise. And it wouldn't be, wouldn't it be like God? To, to work in situations that just absolutely seem utterly helpless. Wouldn't that be like God? In fact, it is often like God, right? When you're at the end of yourself and you can do no other, man, and God shows up and says, that's what I've been waiting for. When you're utterly at the bottom. Because now I can use you. <laughs> and I get the glory, right? Because it's about His glory. So, intercessory prayer is all about God's glory, 
It's, a, it's, it's, it's rooted in faith in God. It's ra- rooted in love for God. And it's rooted in a love for the people. And it's going with an expectation, believing that God will answer these prayers. Go to Colossians 4, please. Colossians 4. Prayer is hard work, man, isn't it? If you really get serious about it, there's so many distractions, there's so many interruptions, you know? Guess who doesn't want you praying, right? Not only your dog, the devil. (laughs) He doesn't want you praying. Um, So recognize who he is and tell him to leave. I'm busy praying. Get out of here. Right? Colossians 4, look at verse 12, please. Epaphras, who was one of your number, which means he's from Colossae, a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you. How? Digging ditches, building homes. In his prayers. Look at that again. I love words, man. It's always laboring earnestly. There's effort there. Strenuous effort there. It's not just passing. It's battling, man. It's battling. Earnestly laboring in, your, in his prayers. And look at what he's praying. That you stand perfect, fully assured in all the will of God. I mean, praying for hangnails is okay. But maybe that hangnail was given to uh, help that person remind themselves that they're not very strong. So we pray that not so much that God healed the hangnail, but that he used it to sanctify the person. <laughs> right? Because guess what? This life ain't your home. So why would I pray to get better here? Right? Let's just pray that we get better on the inside. Right? That God would conform us more to his image. And we'd, he'd, he'd cause us to stand firm, fully assured. You know what he's talking about there? As we're going to see in Ephesians 1, he's praying here. Epaphras is laboring earnestly. By the way, this is at a Roman, the same place Ephesians is written from. Okay, And he's praying long distance. Now think about this. Oh, is this cool? You can be thousands of miles away. And go to into the presence of the omniscient, eternal, everywhere present God. And pray on behalf of someone thousands of miles away. It's as though you're there because He is there. That is amazing. He uses your prayers. There's nowhere on the globe your prayers can't go because God is there. That's good stuff. Oh, I can't pray for them. They're over in uh, Egypt somewhere. No, you can because God's there. Isn't that cool? So you can participate in missionary ministry through prayer. That's good stuff. Um, Look at verse 412 in the will of God. Verse 13, for I testify, Paul says, I'm going to bear witness for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are Laodicea and Hierapolis. So it's rooted in this deep concern for them, this love for them, and he's praying that they would stand firm, fully assured in the will of God. That means they would not waver. They would have no doubt. They would be strong in doctrine. They would understand the perseverance of the saints. They would understand that you are secure in Jesus Christ. That's what he's praying for them. Their spiritual understanding, their edification, their sanctification. That's good stuff. Now, if you go from there, go to 2 Thessalonians to the right just a little bit. Because the Apostle Paul 
is a good example of seeking prayers from others. And I want us to be of this habit, okay? Um, really, um, that which we would dare to share, um, and I don't—I only mean we should be in the habit of sharing requests, okay? Um, so that we all can pray, but I also would want us to give, make sure we report the answer. Because when it's answered, who gets the praise and the glory but God? And then that encourages me to pray again for you, you see? Wow, he answered in one day. Praise God. Tell me more. Tell me more. All right? Okay. Look at uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us. The great apostle Paul is asking the Thessalonians who, have been, who are saved about six weeks, you know, two months here. Um, they haven't been saved very long. It, it, if it's four months, okay. But they have not been saved very long. And they're Gentiles. And the great Apostle Paul understands prayer enough to say to these young believers, pray for us. Pray for us. They have every, every right to the throne that Paul does. They don't, they're not at different levels. And they're not in the Gentile court, you know, w- wishing they could get into the Holy of Holies. Right? They have access to God every bit as much as Paul. Right? And he asks, he knows that. And so he asks them, hey, pray for us. Right? When you go before God, take us with you. Right? That the word of the Lord, look at what he prays for. That the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it also was with you. And that we will be rescued from the perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. That's good stuff. Pray for the advancement of the gospel. Pray for the, the advancement of the word. Pray for the fruitfulness of the word of God in the hearts of people. Right? That's what we should be praying. That's revival. That's revival stuff. Right? We should be praying for revival. We, I, pick on me, I moan and groan about the condition of things, but how often, how much time do I spend in the presence of the one who's, who can change it? Right? Turn off your Fox TV, turn off that, and get your nose in the book. Listen to God and pray. And then watch God work. Watch him work, right? He wants to receive glory, right? And he wants us to participate with him in intercessory prayer. Go to Romans 15, please. A couple more places. Romans 15, verse 30. And I'm... I'm just trying to show the consistency of the New Testament and how people are asked upon and do intercessory praying here. Verse 30, Paul writes, Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to do what? Look at verse 30. To strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Right? So the word striving together, this is again a laborious term. This is a, a working, this is an effort. And he's, he says, strive with me. Join in with the apostle through your prayers. And what is it that he's asking in particular, verse 31, that I may be rescued. That was a common theme of his, right? To be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, that my service for Jerusalem may be proved acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy. This is his request. It's good stuff. 
good stuff. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, he has similar, but it's a little more specific here. 6.18. After he talks about... Well, verse, yeah, 6.18. After the armor of, the, of God, he says in verse 18, With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view... Be on alert, be hypervigilant, if you will, with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. That sounds laborious, right? I mean, but notice it's in the power of the Spirit. It's in the Spirit of God. It's in, it's in the realm of the Holy Spirit that He says, I want you to be hypervigilant. So you're watching, you know what's going on, you know the times you live in, you know the situation around you, and with all perseverance, you stay the course, boom, you don't deviate, you don't fall back, and petition for all the saints, praying for the saints. Verse 19 says this, Pray on my behalf that utterance may be given to me in the opening of my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Now think about that. If the great apostle needs someone to pray for him to open his mouth, I think I probably need the same at least times a hundred. Right? Yeah. It takes, it takes grace to speak boldly for Christ. For all of us. In any given situation. Right? If we want to be evangelistic people, who care for the souls of our neighbors and we want to be able to speak, we should, we should share prayer requests that, hey, please pray for me. I'm to meet with my neighbor. I want to be faithful in my proclamation. I want to be faithful. And the church prays for that. And then you give a report back tomorrow. It was great. It was awesome. He fell on his face before God and repented and wanted to be saved. Praise God. Right? Or you might say, thanks for praying because he tried to kill me. <laughs> and it didn't work. So we pray. So we pray that the Word of God would go forth. We pray, we pray for other people's growth in Christ. We pray for others to love Jesus Christ. Be taken up with others and their concerns. Paul prays this way because he knows that God works through the prayers of His people. He knows that God hears. He knows that God is willing to act. And the encouragement to pray is God's promise to act on that. Go to and is First uh, John five, First John five, fourteen and fifteen. First John five, verse fourteen and fifteen. He writes here: This is the confidence we which we have before Him. Before God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Well, He hears everything. So what's what's the implication here? He hears, therefore He's going to act. Because look at the next verse, 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, what does your Bible say after that? We know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. There's the encouragement to pray. That if you pray according to His will, and where do you know His will from? Going out under a tree and humming, 
Um, no. Tarot cards? Horoscope, maybe. No. Newspaper? Certainly. Mo- How about Fox News? There it is, God's will. No, certainly not CNN or MSLSD. None of those places, right? Right? So where does it? Where do you get the will of God? From the Word, right here. If we pray back to Him what we know, you know what it says? You have what you ask for. I wonder how many of us believe that. That's what it says. We're almost afraid of that verse. Almost afraid of that verse. The thing is, what is God's will? Sometimes we don't know what the will is in this given situation, but we do know some things about His will that's recorded. So we pray accordingly, right? To what He says. I don't know if God's going to heal somebody. You don't see that in the Bible. If He does, praise God. But what do I do know? He wants me to pray that they be sanctified, that they be grown up, edified. Yeah? So we pray according to His will. We know that He hears. If He hears, we know we have what we ask for. That is amazing. Right? Um, what's, a few more verses, guys. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. I can't wait to get through this because I want to pray. <laughs> um, 15 and 16. He writes, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, Obviously talking of Christ. But one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, so that tells you, because of the character of Christ, therefore, 16, let us draw near to God with confidence, boldness, to the throne of grace. Why? So that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Okay? So we come with, this is to us as person, personal, but you can apply this to every prayer you bring on behalf of any other person. We come with a boldness in, on behalf of another person who needs grace, who needs mercy. Lord, such and such needs mercy and grace. I come to you on their behalf, and I ask in the, on the merits of Jesus Christ and the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask that you would work in this situation, that you would be glorified and they would be, make, that they would be edified. That they would come to know you greater. They would come to love you in the depths of their soul. The greatest need of anybody is to love Christ. That's the greatest need of everybody here and everybody there is to love Jesus Christ. Because if you love Jesus Christ, everything else flows out of that. Lord, put it in their hearts. Cause them to love Christ. Cause me to love Christ. Amen? That gets me excited gets me excited so then prayer is a great privilege it's an incredible gift from God through Jesus Christ it's an act of faith it's a labor of love keep on one last place I want to show you is Matthew 7 because prayer is hard work we're, we're told many places to persevere in it to continue in it Matthew 7 gives a great a great pattern for us. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Our Lord is going to exhort His 
followers to persevere in prayer. Don't quit. Don't quit until you get the answer. Right? All right. Look at verse 7. The word ask is a present imperative. Keep asking. Keep asking. And it will be given to you. Keep seeking. And you will find. Keep knocking. And it will be open to you. Just keep on, right? And he says why in verse 8. See how it starts with 4. He's going to explain. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. By the way, it takes faith to do those things. Okay? It takes faith in God that he will do as it says. Okay? Look at verse 9. He goes to an illustration to show the surety of what he just said. Verse 9. Or what man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone? Do you see? That's not a good thing, by the way. Right? He needs something to eat and you give him a rock. <laughs> okay. Just in case you're confused on that. Verse 10, look what it says. Or if he asks for a fish, the dad is the he, will not give him a snake, will he? What's the, what's the answer, hopefully? No. no. Look what he says in verse 11. If you then, being evil, know how to give, to give good gifts to your children... How much more, in comparison, will your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of Him? Is that not stunning? Jesus is rocking their world by saying it's absolutely... It would go against the character of God to not give to you what you ask, what you need, right? Because if the heart is governed by the Spirit, is under the, the permeation, under the influence of the Word of God, we're going to ask things according to His will. We're not going to ask for purple Cadillacs and stupid stuff like that. We're going to ask for things that God says you should ask for, like your daily bread, right? And stuff like that. If God doesn't give you the bread you need, Jesus says he's worse than an earthly father who gives a, a rock to the guy who asks for bread. Do you see the comparison? If an evil person knows how to give bread to the son who asks for bread, are you saying God doesn't know how to do that? So you see, this is to encourage me to go to God like a little kid with a confident expectation that my daddy not only fully welcomes me, he wants to bless me. He wants to bless me more than I want to ask him. Think about that. How many times do we not ask? He's willing to give. It tells me there. Beloved, take that in all of this. Take this in your mind. And let us be a people that are committed and dedicated to praying for each other and beyond our, you know, intercessory prayer on behalf of others, expecting God to do His work, to rescue them from the tyranny of sin and the devil, to fix their family, to fix my family, to fix my, my heart, to fix their heart, to, in all of that, to grow them up in Christ's likeness. But at the end of the day, I would ask, Lord, cause them to love Your Son. Cause them to love your son. 
That's God's will. To love the one he loves. <laughs>